What's going on, coaches? Uh, hopefully, you guys are doing well. Fourth of July is coming up. Uh, hopefully, you guys went out with the family, got a little bit of fireworks. I know here in Oklahoma, it's a uh, pretty big deal, fireworks on Fourth of July. So uh, we'll be we've been hearing it already. It's been we're outside of city limits, so we're hearing the fireworks go off every every uh, few hours out here already. So uh, if you guys need anything from us, go check out everything we're doing with our videos, our podcasts. Everything over at runthepower.com. We've also got virtual summits up there as well. Again, that's all at runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Guardian Caps. Do you have linemen? Are their helmets getting scuffed up during inside run period? If so, there's a way to protect those shells and reduce the repetitive blows your guys are taking during the week. Guardian Caps reduces 20 to 33% of the impact, really focusing on those big guys in the trenches, like we coach. Worn by Clemson, Texas, Oklahoma, Washington, Virginia, 150 other colleges, and over 1,500 high schools across the country, including mine at Broken Arrow and Coach Walls in Ankeny. They are currently running an early bird promo. It's an unbelievable uh, price for them right now. 40 caps for $2,000 uh, with 10 of them for free, plus 10 free. So you get 10 free ones as well. Check them out in our, free show, uh, in our show notes or go to guardiansports.com slash football. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by our guys over at Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product, as you guys know, uh, and it's been a game changer for us. If you've seen us on Twitter or uh, have talked to us about this at all, we obviously especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes, as you guys know, power, counter, inside zone, pin and pull, uh, and formation, so we can save time and be more productive. That's the biggest part. Saves time on defenses, saves time on, on inputting offensive uh, formations, and then easy to draw the play out. Just Play is a limited time offer for RTP listeners only. Get my Just Play Pro for $120, which is an unbelievable $60 off the normal list price. Uh, this offer has been extended uh, and won't last forever. You can get this deal at JustPlaySolutions.com RTP. The best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com RTP. Don't wait, go do it today. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Kendall Simmons. Coach Simmons is the assistant offensive line coach and analyst at Auburn University in Auburn, Alabama. Listen as we talk with Coach Simmons about his amazing football journey from Auburn to being a first-round pick of the Super Bowl champion Pittsburgh Steelers, playing guard with a defensive attacking mentality and tips and pointers for specific interior O-line techniques. We also talk about the great work he is doing off the field for people with diabetes, as this is something he has had to deal with since his college years. You can follow Coach Simmons on Twitter at BigK73. Hope you guys enjoy. Well, coach, now that you're the you're the Zoom expert, I think now, so uh, we don't want to take up you know too much of your time. I'm sure you're you're about sick of being on here um, on That's Zoom, right. but but we appreciate you coming on. Um, obviously, uh, we know a, a lot about your backstory as far as you know playing and, and coaching, but maybe not every coach uh, around does. So, kind of how we always start this thing is, is kind of let you give your you know your football journey, your football background, if you will, from from uh, playing days to coaching and how that brought you to where you are now. Okay. Well, um, actually, I'm, I'm originally from North Mississippi. I uh, played at Ripley High School, Ripley Tigers, uh, graduated in 97. Came to Auburn in 97 and 
pretty much played every game as a freshman, you know, the offensive lineman. I got recruited as defensive line, played both ways. And uh, my journey started with uh, Rick Trickett. I'm pretty sure y'all might know that name. Um, he said, if you want to you have an opportunity to play in the NFL and play early, um, you got to come over here with me. He said, but one way or another, I'm going to get you over here. So you're not going to be on the D-line long. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just told him I wanted to play. I, I didn't want to sit on the bench in any way or not I can get on the field. And um, he made that possible for me. I finished up my last three years with um, Coach Nall, Hugh Nall, and um, graduated early, finished my senior year, but um, just taking my senior project, got my degree in graphic design. And in um, 2002, got drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers in the first round, the 30th pick overall. Um, played until 2010. And once I retired, uh, during the time while I was playing, I developed type 1 diabetes. And so when I retired, I became a patient ambassador, national patient ambassador for um, Nova Nordisk and um, JD, JDRF and all the different um, communities related to the diabetes world. I did that for about nine, 10 years and decided I wanted to get into scouting. Um, scouting is something, the, the executive background is something I've always wanted to see and be a part of. I was just intrigued in how they built teams. And so I got into that, did that for a couple of years, did the scouting academy and um, did a scouting internship with the Steelers. And all of a sudden it's just that, that being on the grass and being at training camp um, really touched that nerve of being a coach. Um, you, as a scout, you don't have an opportunity to have that hands-on experience and uh, be a part of a player's life and um, help develop players. And everybody that I talked to, even the general manager, Kevin Colbert told me, he said, look, you got to pick one of the two. Um, you know, you, you show some promises being in the scouting world, but um, you can't do both. And so I said, you know what? I got to give it a shot. And so I had a couple of conversations with Coach Malzahn. And then last year in, in, in January um, is when I officially started as an analyst and um, assistant to the offensive line coach. And I'm going on my second year now. So, you know, we're trying to see where things go. And at some point, I'd love to have my own room. Um, and either at the college level right now, I'm looking more at the professional level, but we'll see. Well, he, he said you can't really do both, but uh, almost you kind of can at the college level. I mean, you guys are are scouting, um, you know, and I, and I don't know, and, and I'm kind of curious because all of the big schools that we hear about, the Auburns and Alabamas and all the big SEC schools, it seems like they've got, you know, 20 analysts on on staff. What is, mm -hmm. what is your, you know, your role as an analyst? What are you guys allowed to do? Is it, I know the NCAA kind of keeps everything – you know, tied into a box and these guys can do this and these guys can't. And, and so, yeah. so what are you, what are you allowed to do as an analyst? What's an analyst allowed to do? Are you a part of any of the recruiting, uh, probably breaking down film, but not actually talking to the guys. How does all that work for you? Well, as an analyst, um, I have an opportunity to, um, I guess my role right now is to help with the national offensive linemen, uh, all the guys that are national, the, the, the big guys. Um, so I, I do a lot of, breaking down film and looking at those guys. And then also once the, the coach Malzahn said, hey, we targeting this guy, then I reach out to him on Twitter, you know, talk to him back and forth with that. I'm, I'm allowed to text them, but I can't call them. They can call me and I can answer the phone and talk to them, but I can't reach out and call them. So it's like, hey, you know, give me a call. And it's up to the player if he wants to call or not. If he does, then I try to have a conversation with him, you know, 
gauge his interest, build some type of relationship with him, and then go from there. Uh, do a lot of film watching. Like you said, you know, and it's funny that you brought it up, is the Scouting Academy really prepared me for what I was getting into because I would have been completely lost on what to look at, how to gauge a player and the verbiage and how to break it down if I wouldn't have went through that about two-year span of just doing the scouting classes and stuff like that. Um, so it was actually a blessing in the sky, to be honest with you. So, so what do you think, because, you know, I hear a guy that's, you know, Super Bowl champion and, and you know, first-round draft pick and, and I, you know, obviously as just a high school coach and only played in college, I think of guys like that and think, well, they know just about everything there is to know about offensive line and, and what they'll be looking in, you know, looking for an offensive lineman because they've been around so many great ones their, their whole career. What are some things then, even with all that background that you learned from the scouting academy uh, that, that stick out to you now? You know, it's funny that you brought that up. It's amazing how much you, you, people would think that about players that made it to the level that I made it at. And you realize once you're put in that position, how much football you don't know. Um, that was the reality check that I got. And I wanted that though, because I've always been, I was taught how to read coverages as an offensive lineman. When we get in our stands watching the defensive back end rotate and giving us an indication where the blitz and stuff were coming from. My, my O-line coach was Russ, Russ Grimm, and he taught us that. And I love that. And so that was something that I wanted to learn more about, being able to identify coverages and what they were in. And that way, I, when I did have an opportunity to coach, I could pass along to the players to make the game slow down for me. But I just didn't know how to verbalize it. Um, you can talk about it, but you got to be able to teach it. It's difference between knowing to be able to play and be a good teacher. Um, and so being able to verbalize it and getting a kid to understand it and talking to them at the level that they can comprehend, that's what makes a difference in a good coach. I mean, um, you can't just say, this is how I'm going to teach it. You got to learn it that way. You got to put it to them in a way that they can understand. And, and being in this position has really taught me that, learning how to teach the basics and then build on that. Um, with the Scouting Academy, watching guys first step when they come off the ball, hip roll, you can look at a guy, if I want to done this, and say, yeah, he can play. But really, tell me how he can play snap to finish. Give me, in words, his, free, his feet, his hands, and all that, and, and build a picture for somebody who can't see the film. That's what the Scouting Academy taught me from snap to finish, is just that's how you put it out there to be able to evaluate players. And then you can really see the differences between player A and player B if you follow like the, the five basic traits that they have for offensive line. Coach, do you think that, you know, being on the offensive line and, and maybe since it, it, you know, you're kind of dictated by the film you have, the quality of film, and then not only that, the number of offensive linemen, that maybe you're more apt to find, quote, some of those diamonds in the rough at some of those positions because – maybe it does get overlooked and a lot of people don't know what they're looking for? Yes. Um, I, I question our uh, scouting department all the time. Um, this guy, they say, hey, you know, we think this. Now, and not saying, I, and then the one thing I, I had to learn is that, yes, you played, but you, you don't know it all, and your opinion isn't any more important than anybody else's. But I'm just saying from what I've seen in guys like Alan Fanica who is, should be in the Hall of Fame right now. I've watched him play, and guys I played with, Jeff Hardens and some of the other Pro Bowl players, watching them, you can tell what a 
center is supposed to look like when he is firing off the ball, staying low, and he can pull and don't need nobody help reaching the three technique. <laughs> you know? and, but going to college, you know, you really question those type of things. And um, they ask for my opinion and what I think. And I, and I appreciate that because, they, you know, you played at the highest level. You got a better feel for it than we do. Yes, we've been looking at it. But what is your thoughts? Maybe we're missing something. I'm like, yeah, this guy ain't the most flexible in the world, but look at how he's coming off the ball and finishing. You can't teach finish. You can't teach effort. Yes, those are things that he's going to have to overcome, but I, I, I wasn't that flexible either. But I played wide open all the time, and I, that made up for some areas that I was deficient in. So, so what about some guys like you out of high school that are, that are you know, killing it on defensive line uh, and, and – you as a scout now are, are looking at that kid that's playing defensive line. What are you seeing in a kid like that that says, hey, this could be a, an offensive lineman for us? It, does that happen as, as much in, in high school football anymore? What are, what are you seeing? Because you're not getting maybe any offensive line film, depending on, you know, how that school d- decides to, to work, their, uh, work their kids. Yeah, it, it's kind of tough when you don't, when the kid doesn't play both ways, when all he's just playing is defensive line. Um, is trying to translate into him being an offensive lineman. One thing that I've learned from uh, Rodney Garner, uh, our D-line coach, is he points out guys to me like that a lot. He's like, hey, come come check this guy out. This guy here, he's an okay defensive lineman, but I think he'll be a hell of an offensive lineman. You can tell when you see a guy, he is not getting – he doesn't have that sudden burst off the, off the defensive line, and he's getting penetration every now and then, and he's more or less kind of stalemating the guys and falling off and making tackles, that's an offensive lineman right there. Defensive lineman, the, the good ones that are going to play, you know, Coach Garner's going after Alabama, you, you know, all those big schools are going after, those guys are getting penetration. I mean, uh, pretty much every play. And, it's, and, and they run in sideline to sideline, and they stand out like a sore thumb on film. They, those guys are obvious off, are defensive linemen, but an offensive lineman, a kid that you're going to have to eventually convince that he could be very, very good on the other side of the ball. You look at his hand placement, his effort, and how he's running his feet. Yeah, that's good. But if he's a, if he ain't in the backfield a lot, that's an offensive lineman waiting to happen. <laughs> I mean, and it's hard, and that's the job is just trying to convince them and, and, and do that. But what I tell them, I said, you know, I'm a prime example of that. Um, I was getting recruited by pretty much everybody as a defensive lineman, but a lot of folks told me I was going to get redshirted. You know, I loved offense. I played offensive a guard like I played defensive tackle. I was hitting everything that moved. And so I'm like, you can use that same aggression on offense but you're going to be that much better because think about it. You get to think like a defensive lineman. You understand what they're thinking to a degree. So you can use that to your advantage. Um, and so I try to help kids who are, don't necessarily want to hear it and show them the path that I have made it through. Not saying you're going to end up being a first-round pick because I didn't think I was either, but it's a possible opportunity because you still have some athletic ability that a defensive lineman has. You're just not that over-the-top type of guy. Coach, now – I've heard some rumors. So, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers, when you guys were there, I'd, I'd heard, you know, obviously you guys power run game, you know, smash people downhill, a lot of gap scheme. I'd heard you guys would only run power one direction and then maybe you'd run, you know, counter the other direction. Was, is that something that's true? Again, I'd heard it from somebody. 
would you guys run, you know, counter both ways and power both ways? And how did that kind of maybe, you know, help you as a guard? You know, hey, I'm going to kick out on, on this play or I'm going to be a down blocker on this play. It really all depends on who we were playing, to be honest with you. Um, if we had success against certain teams and we were better than them personnel-wise, we, we were going to wear that one, one side out. Um, and it got towards the, the, the time before Alan Fanica left, we ran a whole lot of power with him because he was so good at it. And, and me and Max Starks and Willie Colon got really good at the double team, at the deuce block and climbing to the linebacker. So there were cases where, yeah, that I would say in a lot of ways that was true, but when I first got there the first few years, we went in every direction to just to try to keep teams off balance. Um, I, one thing I liked about it is that I got to show my athletic ability, being able to get out on, on sweeps and pull and, and do things like that. So it, it, it became more one-sided once Bruce Arians became the offensive coordinator. It became more one-sided then than when we had um, – Mike Malarkey and Ken Wisenhunt. All right, Coach. So the, the obvious question for me is, you know, you, you go and you learn to, to scout. Um, did you ever go back, look at your own film? I know you've watched yourself, you know, <laughs> every day in practice, you know, and, yes. and looked at how to get yourself better. But did you ever go back and scout yourself, either, either your NFL film or your college film, and try to break down your own stuff? Yes, I did. And let me tell you how disappointed I was. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> man, you, you think about, okay, man, I, you know, I did pretty good in this game. And, and then I went back and looked at one of the games. I said, you might check this game out because I thought I played pretty good in this game. I was like, ooh, yeah, that wasn't very good right there. Oh, that was bad. <laughs> oh, I would have chewed. I would have cussed myself out right there on that. Oh, my goodness. So, yes, I have. And it's really hard because you don't want to. Because when you start kind of really learning what to look for, he's like, okay, that was the wrong step. I got away with it on that one. And um, just little stuff like that, yes, it's, it's hard to, to look at those things nowadays. So in the NFL, you get some – obviously the, the cream of the crop as far as it comes to athletes. And, and I think us at high school level and probably even at college level, and it's a good thing, you know, we're trying to get the right technique. We're trying to get everyone have this perfect technique. And then I think you put on some NFL film and you see, you know, a, a freak at left tackle completely step underneath himself and then cross over and then gets the guy cut off. You know, everything you're telling your, your young guys not to do, you know, but they don't yes. have that athletic ability. So yes. when you've got those guys like that, uh, you know, in college or when you're working with them in the NFL, do you just leave those guys alone that are that good? Or do you still try to get some of that technique part out of them, uh, you know, if, if they're still getting it done with their athleticism? You have to try to get them to buy into some type of technique. Because the thing about it there at that level, that only gets you by for a few years when you're young. I tell all young guys when they, that I've, I've had an opportunity to be around when I came back in the offseason, I said, once you hit about 26 years old, your body goes downhill quickly, especially when you're playing offensive, defensive line. You, like you said, that freak of nature at left tackle who can do stuff, if he is blessed and not had a lot of injuries, he might make it to 30, maybe getting away with that. But for the most part, if you start getting dinged up, technique is what gets you by. Technique will continue to get you by and athleticism will get you over the top. Yes, you're going to stand out for the first few years, but you're going to get in trouble a lot. When you hit about 26, 27 years old, 
that's when you start to you start to decline, especially when you start getting banged up. Um, Joe Thomas was a great left tackle, but the guy was a technician though. He could do some stuff and get away with it when his technique wasn't that great compared to a guy who didn't have no technique at all, who would give up getting blowed up in the backfield, but the next three or four plays, he looked like he didn't even have a bad play. But Joe Thomas, he could cover up all of that and then look amazing. So Jonathan Alden and those guys, those guys still believed in technique. Um, Larry Zerliner came in my last two years in Pittsburgh. And his really big, his big thing is he's like, I watched film of you guys before I got here. And all of y'all techniques suck. And that's, and yes, yeah, so <laughs> as a professional, because you like, that was like year five or six for me. And at that point, your head's kind of big. And you're thinking, I'm okay. But you start to realize that, okay, you start getting beat up. You need that technique. Um, I was dealing with diabetes, um, type one. And I've had, I had ACLs and, and a couple shoulder issues. So I, I wasn't as strong and as physical as I was when I first got in the league. So I had to try to do better with my technique. And I got a little bit better towards the end. But if I had a chance to go back and do it all over again, I would really, really, really stay on myself about my technique and build those good habits early on in my career just to, to play better. Because I know I could have when I look back at my film. So is that something in the NFL when you're talking to a guy that's a six-year, seven-year vet or maybe even a five-year? Is that something an offensive line coach can sell to him, or is that something that an even older veteran offensive lineman needs to talk to him about, or, or it just depends on the guy? You get it from both sides. Um, the one thing, if you got a good group of older linemen, at least two or three guys, if you got that really one – that everybody listens to, and you see him working stuff after practice, that's where you get the young guys to buy in. Um, it's hard to have to, to preach technique and get the, the group to buy in if you don't have older guys working things after practice. I saw that all the time with Jeff and Wayne Gandy and, and Alan Fanuck and Marvell Smith. I had a great group of old guys I came in with, and they were always working on stuff or looking at things to try to get better. So that made me want to be a part of the group. You know, um, you got that many old guys working. Like, you, you want to do that, too. And so the O-line coach didn't have to really stress much with you. He could say something, and he'd say it in front of the groups where everybody heard it. And that way, he's like, look, this is what your issues are. And um, he's like, you know, I can help you. But he'll tell them, hey, Alan, help him out with that. And, and they'll, they'll, they'll do it for the most part. Coach, you played for, you know, some phenomenal head coaches, obviously, with the, the Steelers, and they've had a, a really good run. You know, could you talk a little bit about, you know, Coach Cower, Coach Tomlin, the guys they've had, and then obviously some of the assistants, you know, guys like Arians. You know, how are they able to get, you know, grown men on the same page? How, how would they kind of motivate and, and not really cross the line? You know, I think you can maybe you say a few things, you know, to a high school kid. It's like, hey, this is how it's done. But when you got guys that are, you know, 30s, you know, pushing 40 years old, sometimes it's a little bit different message you have to give those guys. How are those guys kind of masters of that? Um, building relationships. Um, it's one of those things when in the NFL, you get a little bit more time outside of ball to get to know guys. Um, and when you have a coach that has played the game, and especially one that has played your position, that was always big for me. If When I had a coach that played my position and understood that things are not going to turn out the way you draw it up on the board, those lines ain't moving. That circle ain't moving. But he taught me little things and tricks of the trade, 
and he could go back to his old film, even it might be grainy as all outdoors, but he could show me, hey, this is what I'm talking about. This is what we worked on. See how I was supposed to step this way, but because of this defensive lineman, he played it different. I had to make up for it by doing this. That made, that made us buy into it, um, and, and that really made a difference for us. So you just, at that age, you got to get guys to understand that you are grown. I can't force you to do it, but you have so much untapped potential that you could be a great one, and I'm, will, I'm trying to help you in every possible way. So, and you just give them examples. I mean, to me, with those guys, it was just more of a relationship than anything outside of football. Is, is that where I think you see college going as well? Uh, I mean, I'm curious to ask you. I, I really don't know. But there are so many guys that are, you know, um, famous for any other, you know, word to use, almost famous even at the college level. And, and you know, it, being able to transfer maybe to somewhere else and, and do some different things. Um, I'm sure the college game has changed a little bit with how you communicate with those guys. Is that something that you've seen – be a little bit more like the professional, uh, you know, professional coaching uh, as compared to maybe when you were going through college and, and playing at the college level? Um, and, and in my case, I feel like it could be better. Um, the guys are so tied up with time nowadays, things that are pulling at them in 50,000 different directions. It's really hard to build an outside relationship with the guys because you know that you, you you know they might have their school where they got their girlfriends they got their own little extracurricular activities when i was playing we were always over either coach trinket house or coach Nall house hanging out building relationships him we we seeing his kids grow up i know coach trinket kids from when they were like three and four years old and now they're coaching teams you know what i'm saying um and it's crazy because i remember those guys you know, and, and that really made us closer. And when he did chew us out, we knew that he loved us because he took care of us like his dad, like he was our dad when we weren't at the field. Um, and I just wish that we could do a better job of that at this college level because I feel like that's what a lot of the kids are missing. Um, a grown-up that will show them what a good father's like, husband, whatever it may be, and them actually getting to see it instead of you talking about it, because then they will play for you and they will listen to you and do what you ask them to do if you can show them your softer side. I love that aspect of it, Coach. I think it, it makes such a big difference. And, you know, I, I'm picturing it as you're saying it, you know, when, when coaches had their family around or I was at a coach's house with their families, you know, when you see that example, it, it, it sticks with you. It's so powerful. And, again, you know, that was my favorite part about coaching the offensive line, too. It just seemed like there was so many more opportunities. Hey, we're going to cook out. You know, we're going to barbecue, and, and we're going to do this. And at the same time, you know, they were able to see you in a different setting. It's like, man, football is my life. I love football. But at the end of the day, you know, this is the type, the type of man I am, and this is the type of husband I'm going to be. And I, I hope all of you guys learn that first. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, and whenever the opportunity presents itself, it does. I'm going to try to do my best with that. And, in, and even as being an analyst, I try to gain or build a relationship with the players that I'm around, get to know them and, and talk to them and let them know my faults. I have no problem with putting my dirty laundry on the table and saying, hey, look, I was weak at this point in time at your age too. I, you know, I made my mistakes and this is what happens and you got to live with those consequences. 
So that's the type of stuff that can change guys' lives. And so I'm more focused on that than more of the, the ball aspect because football ends very quickly. I, honestly, you played at Houston. Um, Coach Brad, I don't know where you played ball at, but you know when you first got to Houston. It was like it happened yesterday. I remember when I first got to Auburn, when I drove up, walked out on the field, and they slapped Simmons across my forehead with that piece of tape <laughs> and my first day in Pittsburgh. And now that's all over with, and, and it goes quickly. So those are the type of things that you try to get the guys to realize to, to enjoy the time while you're in it and don't be so dead set on, I got to get to the league because you might not make it. You got to focus on the, the better stuff other than that. That's a, a great point, and I think it's extremely hard to do. Um, you know, I think, man, when you're in it, it seems like mm -hmm. it's everything. And, and it seemed like every month they'd have someone new come in and talk to us and say, hey, you're not, you know, football is what you do. You're not a football player. Um, and, and me as a young, dumb kid, I was like, that's just because you're not good enough at football. I, I am, and it is everything to me, and that's why I'm going to be great. And it almost wouldn't matter who told me that, um, you know. Mm -hmm. But I also didn't necessarily get that much from my coaches. It was from other people that they would bring in. Uh, so I mm -hmm. think, like you're saying, it's such an important thing to be able to talk about those guys. And, and probably a reason that whenever I got out of football, I had such a tough time figuring out who I was, what I was going to do, not what I was going to do, but even who I was as a person, you know, now that football's yeah. over and it's not what I'm doing all the time. Yeah. And that's the toughest part too. Honestly, you're not the only one. Um, I went through a stage of that, like, okay, football was an identity and I fought for years to not let it become my identity. I wanted people to see what was under the helmet. Um, but when you don't start setting yourself up, and you don't realize that your career could end any second, it's hard to adjust to what I call everyday life. Becoming an everyday normal human being it is really tough. And so you got to try to have people to lean back on. So that's when I called my old O-line coach, um, guys that I played ball with who didn't make it to the NFL. Hey man, how, how, what are you doing now? How do you, how, how do you handle your everyday life? You know, and, and being vulnerable enough and knowing y'all good enough friends that he's gonna give you the right information so that's where I think you build a relationships in college with teammates roommates and if your O-line coach or position coach can get close enough to you that could be a safety net for you whenever that day comes well I'm sure that you're you would be a great guy for all those college football you know all those college kids that you guys have come in as offensive linemen I know that you know we had a, a guy come in and, and help for a year um, and he was just like on a practice squad in an NFL team for one year but to us it was like, man, he's he's the guy. You'd listen to anything he said. So uh, I'm assuming guys come come and, and see you around and get to talk to you and bounce ideas off of you and, and all the things that you did in football has got to be a, a huge person that they can lean on. And I'm sure uh, a bunch of those kids are coming up to you asking you, you know, different thoughts about different things. I'm not sure, again, how much you're allowed to help them with the football aspect of stuff but I know if, if I was in that situation you'd be someone that I'd be reaching out to if I knew you know someone in my building was was an NFL you know veteran yeah you know the one thing that I and, and you talk about helping out the only bad part about being an analyst is, is you can't coach on the field that is that was the hardest thing for me to stand there for a year and knowing that I couldn't mix it up in a drill knowing I could physically still get down and show them what I'm talking about and not being able to do that. 
that's that's hard as an analyst. Um, so I'd have to try to show him on film or draw up something and say, hey, look, look, this is what he's looking for. You're not doing it. See how your hand's supposed to be over here? You know, and you try to find little ways to get them to understand that. And, and it's really tough. You have to be creative. Uh, I learned that you got to really be creative because you ain't trying to break no rules and you ain't trying to get nobody's trouble. <laughs> and, you know, so um, that's the tough part about it. Um, but like you said, I do have the guys come up to me a lot and ask questions. But I really try to build more of an off-the-field deal with them to try to get them to understand that, okay, say, for instance, you came, you're the only kid from your area that has the opportunity to play at Auburn. Your family don't really have anything, and you know your mama couldn't pay for you to come into school. Tell me why you're not going to class. I don't understand that. You know, like I, I try to hit them at that level, and like, okay, we can work on the ball, but we, you won't ever even get to the ball if you're not going to class. You know, so football really isn't even an important factor right now. You, you're going to end up back in the same situation you just left and you fought hard to get out of. So let's take care of the other stuff first, and I'll do everything I can to help you out on that other part. Coach, that's awesome. Uh, I remember a few of those conversations I had, to, I had to have with guys, too, when they were – you know, I was an analyst, and not only that, I had to go make sure they were in class. Yes. Um, I'm sure you get to do some of that, too. Um, I, I was going to ask you, you know, you, you talked about kind of, you know, your, your life outside of football and you've mentioned, you know, the stuff you've done with, you know, diabetes, you know, you type one and, and talk a little bit about, you know, how you've been able to, you know, use kind of football as a tool and a vehicle, you know, to, to help people in, in that situation. Um, it's actually the, the platform that God gave me as a uh, former professional athlete to be able to talk about diabetes and reach people in that aspect has absolutely been amazing. Um, it's been more of a blessing for me because I only knew a little bit while I was playing. I was just like you said, Coach Harper, um, it's the fact that being somewhat bullheaded, you think you're invincible when you're at that age. So just give me the bare minimum and, I, and, and I'll take my medicine like I need to and I'll be fine. I didn't really research and try to learn more. Um, and so I had my struggles in between that kind of affected my play to a degree. Uh, so when I, once I got a chance to be an ambassador and learn and be around doctors, it changed my whole view on how diabetes affects every person in every aspect of your life when it comes to you thinking, your, your, your mood swings, your health, everything. Um, and just football really helped me because kids were drawn to the whole, yeah, he had an opportunity to play and win two Super Bowls. So I used that as a tool to get next to the kids and get them to understand, look, you aren't going to have a chance to make it through X, Y, and Z if you don't take care of yourself physically. This is how it affected me while I was playing. This is how it affected me mentally when I was done. Um, and it isn't hard. You just got to commit to it like anything else and let it become part of your, um, your everyday duty. Uh, and it really helped me out. It honestly did. So um, just being able to do that now, being on a couple boards with Beyond Type 1 and um, working with JDRF and, and doing other things like that is still giving me an opportunity to learn more about what I'm living with and still try to inspire people. Well, Coach, we actually had um, a defensive end this year on our, on our high school team with diabetes, and, and he had, uh, I believe, a patch somewhere like on his, on his hip or somewhere, and, and it, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and I know almost nothing about it. I should know a lot more. He's a defensive lineman, though, so I didn't didn't get really into it, but 
Um, you know, I know there are certain practices, certain workouts where he wasn't, you know, where he needed to be that day. So he couldn't, you know, participate and was a good defensive end for us. But, you know, had some days like that. Do you work with any, and I don't say work with, do you talk with any, you know, athletes specifically that have it uh, and have any um, things to, to tell them? I don't know if tips is the right word or, or things that they need to know, things that they need to be doing uh, so they can maximize uh, their athletic potential um, while, you know, um, also protecting themselves and being healthy? Yes, all the time. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask you this. You said he had a patch on his hip. I don't know if – can you see this? Did he have something that looked like that? That's yeah. my – yeah, that's my CGM. And it reads your blood sugars, and it, and it just sends it to either your phone or whatever. And he might have had uh, that on that you were talking about. One of the things that I talk – I talk to athletes all the time, and I try to relate to them what I went through. When you're an athlete, adrenaline affects your blood sugars. Either it makes you go up high or it makes you bottom out. So you either need sugar or you got to take insulin to bring your sugar down. And it all depends on which range you're in. With me, it shot mine through the roof. So I was constantly having to take little bitty increment shots. I took eight to 10 shots a game, every game I played in, just to get my blood sugar down. And physically, if you pay attention to it, you know when you feel good. My numbers, so you're not diabetic. Just try to explain it to you. Normal human being runs between 80 and 100. Yours is floating between 80 and 100 right now. Mine on a good day is about 120 to 130. When as soon as the game starts, I'm at 180 to 200. By the end of the first quarter, I'm at 250 to 300. When it gets that high, I start forgetting to play. I can, I can give you so many stories where Ben Roethlisberger has called to play. And I, when I got to the, the line of scrimmage, I completely forgot what he had just said. Mm. But my blood sugar was floating so high that I just, I was out of it to a degree. And so you have to do that to try to get it down. If you can keep it below 200, that's where the doctor says you're, you're almost like redlining the engine of a car. When it starts redlining, it gets hot and it wants to shut down. If you keep it below 180, you're doing good. Now a person who's low, they got to keep it up to where yours is to where they don't bottom out. So it's little things like that. You got to learn about yourself and be patient enough and get the, the, coach and the trainers to understand the same thing that's where I was blessed that my position coach O-line coach knew that I was dealing with it all I had to do was raise my hand and say hey coach give me a minute and he would let me lead a drill and go fix it now the toughest part about it was was in a game I couldn't come out of a game you know offensive linemen we don't sub out you know? <laughs> that's right so honestly no lie diabetes and dealing with that taught me more mental toughness than anything I've ever dealt with in my entire life we easily throw in the towel when things get hard. And I was in those situations, I couldn't throw the towel in and come out. And what did it for me is Alan Fanica deals with epilepsy. If he don't take his medicine, he could easily have a seizure. Hmm. Jerome Bettis is an advocate for asthma. I've watched him have asthma attacks and he's a Hall of Fame running back. You know, Ryan Clark had issues with, with the um, altitude, with it affected his spleen and stuff. They had to take it out. Other guys I can bring up. So I looked at them like if they can play through these issues they're having in their lives and they're still playing at a high level, I can get myself under control and do the same thing. So those are the examples I try to give players who have it and are dealing with it and try to show them that you can still be successful, but you got to put the effort in. 
and get the coaches and stuff to buy in. Hey, give them a chance. You got a really good player here, and if you just let him take care of himself and give him the tools to, he's going to be all right, or she's going to be all right. Is this something that, that um, you know, came about later in life, or do you, is this something that you had battled even high school, college, you just didn't know about it? You just thought, oh, I just feel a little off today, and then finally at some point, you know, the, the doctors came in and, and told you the answer because I even and, – and this is way off topic probably, but, like, there's certain days that I'd feel tired my whole life. Well, I was kind of tired this day, and it wasn't until I was, like, 25 that I was like – Oh, well, when I eat this stuff the day before, I feel a lot better than that. But I was young and didn't care about it. I just thought, well, some days I'm tired, some days I'm not. Sometimes I don't yeah. feel good. I never even thought there was a, a cause to this. Is this something that you'd always kind of dealt with and just didn't know what it was? Or, or how did that work for you? It, it, I was diagnosed in 2003, going into my second year and in, in, uh, heading to training camp. I got diagnosed with diabetes two and a half weeks before training camp. I had no issues as a kid or all the way through college. The only issues I ever had was I got diagnosed with high blood pressure in, in college. Most offensive linemen, we all a little bit too big anyway, so most of us is flirting with high blood pressure anyway. <laughs> that was the only issue I had. Um, and, and it just hit my doorstep all of a sudden. I lost 45 pounds in two and a half weeks. And I was hospitalized for a week. I completely lost my vision. Jeez. Like I was temporarily blind for an entire week. I could not see at all. And I was laid up in the hospital, 45 pounds lighter, looked like I was on drugs, dark, big dark circles under my eyes. And it freaked me out. I I had just turned 23 years old and did not know what was going on. My grandmother had type two. And so we called it sugar. I I didn't know what diabetes was at all. They said, hey, you have diabetes, what is that? And I had no clue, so it freaked me out. And once I got it under control after that first year and a half, I was okay. Um, I had accepted it, uh, and it was just what it was. And so it was something that happened to me um, later on in life, and I had no issues with it. I know people who are in their 50s now that are getting diagnosed with it, and it's just something that happens. Coach, now, you know, getting into getting back into to football and, you know, I know you have some aspirations, you know, what's kind of your goal? I know you've talked about, you know, wanting to get back to the NFL, you know, where do you kind of hopefully, you know, see yourself here in the, in the next few years? Um, you know, it's something that's funny you ask that. My wife has always been on me about looking into the future. I struggle with that looking, you know, where I want to be five years from now. Um, and honestly, being realistic, the age that I'm at, I'm 41 years old. Um, you know, you got to do a, get a lot of experience for somebody to trust you at the major D1 level and professional level for you to be a position coach. So I know I got a few years of uh, hopefully no more than about three or four more years of getting some experience under my belt and I'll get an opportunity to be a position coach. That's what I'm hoping. So by the time I'm saying 45, 46 years old, I'll have my own position group. That's what I would like to see um, because I just really enjoy the sport and I feel like I got, I got a lot to give back to it um, and just want to be around for it. Have you seen much technique change from when you were playing in the NFL to kind of now what's being taught uh, or is it kind of still – the same basic principles are, I'm sure there's a few tweaks and things, but is there a big change uh, of the major principles from when you were playing to now, or is it still fairly the same thing that it's been 
for the past, you know, several years as far as some of the, the basics, um, fundamentals of offensive line play? Um, the fundamental, basic fundamentals is pretty much the same as some of the techniques that are just out there. Um, I've, I was looking online today and studying some stuff, and I'm like, there's no way I would have tried that back in the day, you know, because I feel like I would have got blowed up if I did that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think to give you an example, I know you guys watch film, um, the tackles for Green Bay, they sit and it's like they hop out and they grab. They don't punch. They just kind of almost like they bear hug and grab the guys It for them. There's no way I would teach a guy to do that and kind of expose your chest, but it's somewhere or another, they do it and they get away with it. Um, some of the, the footwork that college teams are using now. Um, if you're going against a penetrating defense, um, to me, that's an issue. Uh, and so I have a hard time buying into some of the shuffle footwork on zone plays instead of that 45 and go, you know, getting your head across. One thing I've learned, too, that I've learned, they don't really talk, teach getting your hat play side. To me, that is so key to getting a guy blocked. They're more worried about getting your hands in the right place and feet. If your hat's backside, that guy, he, got, he has the angle and the gap on you. My coach, he would up down the mess out of us if <laughs> I was a play side. He really focused on that. And, and, and that was one of my pet peeves, especially as a player in the NFL. It's like I always looked at that, that play side shoulder, and I'm trying to get my backside ear over there. And when I was remotely successful at doing that, I did a decent job. Now times a guy can take that step and he think he got it, but all of a sudden he wants to start trying to wheel him. You don't even have your head front side to even turn, get your hips around him. Your head is backside on his elbow. You have no shot if that guy's decent. So they don't press that point of doing that. So that's what I did on the side as an analyst. I always yelled at the guy, I said, dude, that was a good step, but you know why you didn't block him? You didn't get your hat across. That was one of the first things you did not do. And he, he's nowhere near the athlete you are, but he beat you because he played the gap and he got over there because your head wasn't in the right place. So it's little things like that that I see that coaches run through and they, they miss the little stuff, um, being sticklers about some of the little things. I'm with you on, on hat placement, and I think what – and I could be way off, but I think what's kind of gone on is with all the head injury issues, it's almost like every offensive line coach is, is almost scared to talk about putting your head anywhere. And it's like if I say put your head somewhere, then we're talking about putting your head into it, and we're trying to take a head out of it. Um, and, and I've tried to morph at times away from using that, but there still just is some times where it's – it, it's, it is almost that easy to say, put your head over in that spot. And, and now they can't work mm -hmm. through your head and you've got them. Or, um, you know, I, I've, I watched some of the really good centers in the NFL at times when they reach and, and it's like they're throwing their head first before anything goes. Um, and, and I try to yes. get away from it, but I almost can't because I watch those guys and, and when they reach and what they're doing with that. And it's, it's almost like they start with their head and then push off and do some different mm -hmm. things. And so, um, it's kind of a weird little deal that's going on right now. I'm with you on that. Yeah, you made a good point with that. And, and that's, so you're looking at film, that's some of the still the technique stuff they work in the NFL. They still do the basic duck walk, <laughs> you know, side shuffle, 
Um, they, they still, you know, you duck walking under the shoe, trying to keep your hips bent, you know, doing drills where you got to get your head across, you know, and, and even got to the point where one point where we were doing it without helmets on. Like, if you don't get your head across here, you don't get smacked in the face with the shoulder pad or, or whatever it may be. So you got to get your head over there. And it's emphasizing, like you said, throwing that head over there, which takes the rest of your body with you when you do that. All right, Coach. So you, you've probably gone through a thousand different drills with your different offensive line coaches. Can you think of, uh, as a player, can you think of one of, the, one of the drills that you absolutely hated and you still hate to this day and don't think that it was any good for you? <laughs> um, I, I think um, bulling, uh, it's like bulling the ring, or what do we call it? We call it hookup. Um, and it's basically one-on-one. And all you're doing is the guy is just stalemating. I think it's a pointless drill because when you talk about keeping your head out of it, both the offensive and defensive line, both heads slam together, and nobody's really trying to get their hat to one side or another. And all it is is I'm, I'm trying to keep you from pushing me off the ball. And it's not really a play being ran. It's like who is the strongest and who can get under you and leverage. Yes, but think about it. A normal play isn't ran that way. And a goal line, really, for the most part, the defensive line is going to the ground, and they're trying to get penetration. You rarely are going to hit a guy straight level and run him directly off the ball. I think that is the most ridiculous drill in the world, and why you keep doing it is pointless to do it. Um, so I, I don't like that drill at all. That's like my number one I can't stand. <laughs> <laughs> Would have to agree. Completely stupid. Um, Coach, again, you're going back to the point of, you know, getting hat across. I mean, I would imagine, obviously, NFL, you know, with outside zone schemes and going against such great athletes, and if I'm going to be worth anything and get dudes, especially at that second level, I've got to be able to put my face on an angle to be able to block that dude. Because if I don't get my face to whatever my landmark is, I'm not going to have a prayer. Do you think, you know, that might have been the reason why, you know, it is so prevalent or whatever you know I, I know they're not teaching now but back then you know when you were playing and knowing that dude I'm going to get such great athletes and these guys move so fast if I'm not going to get my body and my hat and my face in that position I'm not going to have a prayer blocking this dude yeah I think it's true um what what I was taught as a freshman is drilled in my head as an offensive line when you're in your stance and you know that you got to reach a three technique and he's a penetrating three technique my coach always taught me to pick a spot on the ground and run to it. Pick a spot outside of his knee, and that's what you're trying to get to the block. And you're trying to get your head over there to that spot. And if you and he always taught, and that's what I always thought of, even when I was in the NFL, when I got a, had a fast-flowing linebacker and I knew I could not run him down, I'm looking two yards in the direction where I know the player's going to go, and that's what I'm running to. I'm not running at him because I know I can't keep up with him. So you find, you pick your spots and you run to it and knowing and let the back make you right. Um, one of the things, that I, another thing that I really learned about running zone and, and, and blocking guys in the NFL, use their momentum against them. You, you are, you are rarely going to take a guy and move him by sure will. It's just, it just doesn't happen. So when he starts to flow, take him where he want to go. The back should be good enough to cut off of you. Yeah, you got a certain scheme the players ran up, but if you run an outside zone and that guy's flying to the outside, you're not going to cut him off. Get in his back hip pocket and throw him into the sideline. That's what our jobs were. And I blocked so many guys like that by just getting in his hip pocket and running my feet and then letting the back cut up off me. That's just how, you know, we learn how to do it. 
Uh, Coach, that was some of my most embarrassing blocks were trying to get out, reach a linebacker that's coming. He's a little behind me. So I kind of try to do the turn back to get him reached. Yes. But now he's going full speed and I take it underneath the chin. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I've had that happen to me a couple times too. I was quickly quickly to quit doing that. (laughs) Quickly. Well, Coach, you get to watch a lot of high school uh, athletes from across the world even. Um, what are some tips that you would give those guys when they're, when they're making their huddle highlight or, or whatever their highlight film is? What are, as an offensive lineman, you know, even specifically, what are some tips that you give those guys? Because, you know, as a high school coach, and, and, and I'm going to coach my guys, and I like to see them, you know, running guys and planting them and putting them into the, um, you know, sideline you know whatever that's kind of the cool offensive line thing to do I don't always know is that the thing though that that uh the college level level guys are looking at what are some things that you would give those offensive line guys tips on for what they need to make sure is in their highlight film first thing I would say to you number one on contact please do not come off with high pad level come off the ball have some type of twitch about you Work on your footwork, ladder drills all day long, running through the ladders, running through the rope, jump rope, having quick feet. Our line coach always taught us you need to move like your feet's on fire. A guy who has heavy feet, maybe if it's just genetics, it ain't nothing you can do about it, but you can work on it. Quick feet, keep your pads down, and roll your hips. Try to run through them on contact. Um, One of the biggest things that bother me the most about watching high school offensive linemen is that the majority, some of the guys are so much bigger and stronger than everybody, their technique and effort is awful. They come off the ball and then they torque them and throw them down. To me, that's not playing. At the next level, you will not be able to do anybody else like that. So come off the ball, get your hands inside and run your feet and try to run over the top of him. We, I would teach a guy to step on his toes. If you can get your hips up next to him and like you try to step on your toes, you're going to pancake him eventually. That's what's going to happen. So just don't get used to being so much bigger and stronger than everybody and create bad habits where you're grabbing them and taking two steps and you're taking them and throwing them down. If I was an O-line coach, to me, every time you did that, that's 10 up-downs. And, and then, I'm, then I'm mad at the official if you're not throwing a holding flag on that because you're creating the bad habits by letting him get away with that. You know, I know it slows the game down, but that's not impressing me when I look at huddle films and I see guys grabbing them and talking them and throwing them down. When I see a lineman running downfield on a screen or his back has broke a run on the other side of the field and he's trying to get over and get involved and get in the block, that guy right there, he doesn't have to be a five-star to me. That's what I want because you can't teach that. You can't teach that type of effort. Um, I look for that. That's the first thing I look for is how much effort you give at the second and third level. If you can give me that type of effort, the rest of the stuff we can work with and fix because you can't teach that. Well, Coach, you know, kind of rolling up on an hour now, I think that's great, you know, uh, for those kids. And, and I think that um, it, it helps me as an offensive line coach, you know, be able to tell them what, what, what are these guys looking for. But, uh, you know, kind of coming up on an hour now, and, and like you said, you've been on these Zooms for uh, eight hours a day. So we want to get you off here. But before we do, the thing I always like to ask guys is uh, when you're watching uh, another team's offensive line and you watch a lot of film, you're watching another team's offensive line, what, is, what are some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? Um, how well they work together in sync. I, I'm, I'm an interior guy. 
and and I'm always looking at the the two centers, the guard, the center and the two guards. How well do they work in sync together? Because you you solidify the pocket. Um, I, I don't want the middle of my offensive line giving ground. Um, I just I don't I don't think you you can't play football that way. You, your front line can't be dropping back because the tackle has to drop too. And if the middle is is given, quarterback has nowhere to go. So to me, I, I want my three inside guys to be absolute pit bulls. I, I want them to be nasty. I want them to to fight and say this line of scrimmage is mine and you are not getting any of it. I don't care what I have to do. Um, so. That's, that's something that I really pay attention to when I'm watching the other team's offensive line and, and, and how well they communicate. Are they pointing out the backers? Are they saying something before the snap and communicating? That's big um, because the tackles, for the most part, they blocking one person. <laughs> they blocking the defensive end or the stand-up buck backer. You ain't really got to tell them much unless he got to get somebody off the edge. He ain't communicating very, very much, to be honest with you. So those three inside guys need to know what's going on at all times. The two guards, to me, need to know what the center's doing and what his call is going to possibly be. You know, even if you don't make the call, they can correct him. So that's what I, that's what I like seeing, is, is seeing that, that orchestrate in the middle uh, and how they play together. Coach, man, it's been an absolute blast. I remember uh, seeing you get drafted back, and I think it was, what, 02? Yes. And uh, was always a big fan, you know, loved watching the Steelers and loved watching you guys play and, and run the ball. And, and it's been a blast, you know, having you on and getting a chance to talk with you and uh, wish you nothing but luck, man, as, as it moves forward. I hope you, uh, hope you hit those goals by the time you're 45, 46. Best of luck to you, man. Well, hey, I, I really have appreciated um, listening to you guys and, and what y'all post. Um, y'all are doing a hell of a job. Uh, I, I really do think so. Um, it's really helped my education. Of, of learning and seeing things differently. So y'all continue doing what you're doing. I, I definitely commend you on that. So I appreciate you giving the opportunity to be on the show. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.